Hi, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic, and on Fridays, I focus on the Surefoot Equine Pads and how to use them with your horse. Um, today, I'm going to talk about using Surefoot with really young horses and with older horses. Um, I'm hoping to have Bess Miller as a guest because she's working with a lot of foals and has some really interesting experiences. So I just have one foal I'm gonna talk about today and I'm, I'm hoping to bring her back as a guest because one of the questions I get is, how young can I start my horse with Surefoot? And um, the answer to that actually is um, very young depending on the circumstances. And of course, we always wanna set it up where the horse has a choice. So it's, it's how we approach the horse and the, or the foal as opposed to, uh, what we're doing. Um, so I think what I'm going to do is jump right into, oh great, you have some seniors. Yeah, we'll talk about young and then we'll go old. And let me just get uh, my young horse pictures up here. And I'll do a little screen share. Oops, okay, go away. All right, so um, who I want to talk about today is a little horse named Kulaz, and he got his name because when I was in New Zealand, uh, one of the expressions that I kept hearing was, that's Kulaz. And um, so I heard this several times, and um, then we met this little guy. Um, the person holding the foal right there is Marie McAteer. She's a Kiwi who actually spends half her life in Colorado and half of her life in New Zealand. And when I was down there last October, November, um, we did a tour. It was great. I didn't have to organize anything. It was all organized. And we just uh, skipped around. We, we didn't go to South Island this trip. We were in North Island. We were in Wellington and um, a few other places and outside of Auckland. Um, and while we were there, this foal was born. So it turns out that he's a twin foal and the mayor accepted the other foal right away. Um, but this one was the weaker one and he had to be bottle fed every two hours and he could, wasn't even strong enough to get up on his own. So when we heard about him, it was Marie's friend um, who, who owns him. When we heard about him, we thought this would be just really interesting to just see what we could do. Um, and we got there and he was laying down his little, that's his little house there, had a little stall. Um, he had a little, he had a tiger, stuffed tiger to keep him company. Um, and uh, the owner got him up and we just kind of guided him out of the stall. And we, we just started with the half physio pad. And you can see Marie's just kind of supporting him. She's not trying to hold him or make him stay on that pad or do anything um, that would make him upset but she just kind of guided him onto that pad and you can see that she's just kind of coaxing him there. And I, I've never seen Marie light up more than when she was with this foal and it was quite amazing. She's got this great big smile on. And he was just a typical, really curious little guy, right? Was hoping that there was some milk around, was really hungry. And, and you can't see it from this picture, but he was really crooked. So we'll probably see him from the side here in a minute. But what you can see is he's full of life. He's not ready to, to give up. And um, so we just basically worked on setting up an environment for him to wander over the pads. And obviously this is in a, in a, um, a shed that had a lot of stuff in it. And so we just had a little area to work with. Um, and so 
I just took several pictures. You can see that she's not holding him now. She's not supporting him anymore. I'll just play this, just a really short little video, right? Um, and you can see there, I think you can start to see just what his legs look like. Um, you can see how his hocks are touching behind and he's really wide. And you can see this really long pastern and really weak in the pasterns. And I'll just play that again so you can see that. Um, but he was a rather bright little guy, right? And so clearly he, you know, had a lot of life in him. It's a little longer video. And you can see there's his milk bottle. He had to be fed every two hours. Um, he did enjoy being scratched. <laughs> a little mutual grooming going on there. And so, you know, if you stood on the pad, it was great. If you stepped off of it, it was, it was fine. We just wanted him to feel it a little bit, but without any stress. And one of the things that's really important to keep in mind is that if there's too much stress, if, if you're stressing the animal to have them do surefoot, you're really not doing surefoot. Um, you've got to keep the stress low. And so when, I, when we talk about how can you set this up for foals, that's really the key is just how you set this environment up. And you can see here the dog's really curious. And now we've got a hard slant. So we're using the low profile physio, that's a half physio pad, and the slant where he could stand on the really low edge of it. And obviously he's just got one foot on, but the dog and, and Kulaz are having a little moment there. Um, and so then we just kind of guided him over. And again, you can see his hocks are touching together and you can see this really kind of not straight leg. And you can also see his forehead. He's got a really big bulgy forehead. So, um, but pretty soon he was able to navigate on his own and in this space. And we just kept him safe, didn't allow him to get into anything that he shouldn't, but he really wasn't going anywhere. And that's one of the things, um, you know, he was, not really able to walk around, not not like what you would think of as really navigating his environment. And so we just kind of set the pads around and if he stood on them, that was great. And you can see here that he's completely independent right now. Um, and here he is sleeping with his tiger. So this session maybe lasted 20 minutes. That, was, that would probably be uh, probably not even that much. Um, I didn't time it, um, but it didn't take long for him to be really tired. Um, and so he went back to sleep and had his little blanket put back on and snuggled with his tiger. And then I'm just going to go, I'm going to end my screen share here for a moment because then I got to go to this other file where I have some more, some later pictures of cool as. Let's see if I can, I don't know where I put them. I remember where I put them. Do, do, do. I did make a file. Just take me a minute here to find it. There we go. All right, so some of these we've already seen, so let me just kind of go through the file here and find the more recent ones, those we've already seen. Okay, so now I'll do my screen share. So Sherpa wasn't the only thing they did with him, but you can see um, actually what happened. Oh, maybe I have that video. Hang on. I think I do. I think I have it in that folder. Um, that was a little bit older. Um, yes, here's the one we really want. This was the next day, this little video that I'm going to show you. Mm -hmm. 
So the next day after the Surefoot session, okay, he's actually moving around independently and he's outside and he's on uh, another surface. Um, and you can see by his legs, they're, they're pretty um, funky. And at this point, we all started wondering if he was gated. Um, we really didn't know because he hadn't moved enough. Um, and <laughs> but this is 24 hours, not even 24 hours after the Surefoot session, just a, a huge change. And so you can see that, and there's his mama and his sibling, and she is not pleased with him at all. But I'll just play. Oh, he's five days old at this point. Okay, great. And he's actually not trotting, he's gating but we didn't really know that yet. We thought that maybe he just hadn't coordinated yet. Um, let me just check, it looks like I might have a question over here. Yeah, frolicking, that's a great word. That's exactly what he's doing. He's frolicking around. Um, but, you know, we were really amazed at the change in this little guy. And that's why we had to give him a name. So we named him Kulaz. Um, and let me just find the next video here. I'll stop my screen share. It's a little different when you're running it all by yourself. It's, uh, let's see. Okay, not that one. Where's the next one? Um, so is this the same video? Oh, I think it's the same video. So then um, they did other things, and that was that picture. I'll go back to that picture that we saw with him in the harness. This one. Um, you know, Sherpa wasn't the only thing they did with him. And of course, you wouldn't want to just do one thing. You'd want to do everything you could as long as you didn't overload the nervous system. But here you can see he's, he's grown up a little bit. Um, you can still see that his front legs are rather not straight. Um, and he's in a little harness so that he can be supported and walked around and not pulled around by his head. Um, and I don't know much about that, so don't ask me about the harness because I, I, that's all I know. Um, and then here's another picture of him a little bit later. And as you can see, things are getting a lot straighter here in these front legs. Um, and he's just a perky little guy, really bright face. And then the most recent picture I have, um, which is not that recent actually anymore, it's from... April. But this is what he looks like in April. Okay, and as you can see, that's a huge change from that scrawny little foal that had cow hocks and really crooked front legs. Um, and he's definitely a gated horse. So that's why he was frolicking and not trotting. Um, but you know, this is, this is one of the cases that we've actually been able to follow and to see um, because I get people asking me, you know, how young can I start Surefoot with my horse? Well, um, in this case, he was just a couple days old. And so, yeah, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Somebody just said, holy cow, what a transformation. I totally agree. Um, I'll just, I'll go back to my photos and I'll pull up the original pictures of him. You can see his little crooked legs. Uh, oh yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I'm just going to reshare my screen. Um, I don't have them both in the same file, so I, I have to go back and forth. But here you can see, here he is, you know, this really kind of scrawny little guy with the really funky front legs. 
yeah, you can really see how crooked his front legs are there. And, um, and, and his head too, you know, you see this huge bump on his head. And if we go to the after picture, they're doing some ear work on him, but look at how flat that forehead's gotten, right? So, so this is where, um, yes, you can use Surefoot with foals. Um, always, always, it's the, <laughs> yeah, um, it's the idea of how much you do. And somebody's asking, um, how often did they do the pads? I, I really can't say because they didn't give me all that detail, but I know that Marie went back and saw him. Um, and so I'll have to ask her. And that's where I want to bring in Bess Miller for one of my talks because she's got um, several foals on the ground and they're pony foals. And she's used Surefoot with these pony foals. She had one that was really body sensitive, really twitchy, and you couldn't really touch it. And it was really um, just body sensitive. And so she had a full physio pad and she just put it in the stall with the mayor and the foal and next to the wall and then just quietly kind of guided the foal to, to wander over the pad. So, you know, with these babies, we're not putting them on the pads. We're not picking up their feet to put them on the pads. We're just kind of, kind of herding them around a little bit and kind of making it so like it's the obvious place to go. And with Kulaz, we did have some other pads set out and he would just kind of step on one and then step off and maybe another foot would land on another one. But it wasn't like we put him on the pads. We just wanted his feet to make a connection and we use the physio pad because it's the lowest profile. So it's the, it's the least height to step up onto. It's only an inch and a half. Um, and so Bess has worked with her, this one foal, and she just kind of guided it over the pads. And, and we're talking minute, couple minutes. I mean, it's really not long. And she did that several times with that foal and just had huge changes. Um, and I know that she's got another foal crop this year of a couple of foals and she's been using Surefoot again with them. So that's just something to think about if you have young horses and how important their foot is in that really early stage. Um, and ideally they would be out in a paddock where they could run around, but this little guy, there was no way. He, he couldn't even stand up. So there's no way he could be out in a paddock and his mama didn't want him. So it was a really interesting experiment. Um, that's just, you know, I wish we had uh, more foals um, to play with to see what kind of changes. But I do have trainers now that when they're getting young horses in for training, before they ever sit on them, they start with Surefoot. And when you think about that, what we want our training horses to do, our young horses that are learning to be saddled and ridden, is we want them to feel secure and grounded and solid. And so, uh, a lot of times when I've seen young horses started, uh, they, they don't know how to deal with themselves, never mind the weight on their back. And so they're kind of falling around. And, and unfortunately, when they're kind of falling around, you have to grab them more than you would intend to do just because you've got to maintain your own balance. Um, and so I have trainers now that are using the Surefoot pads before they ever get on the horses. And they're, they're responsible their comments are that the horses are so much more grounded and so much more balanced before they ever get on. When you think about how important that is for the horse to feel solid and secure and comfortable under the weight of a rider and able to maintain their balance under the weight of a rider, then it would be really interesting if we could get more 
trainers and more people who are starting horses to use Surefoot with those young horses to help them with their balance. Because that's really the thing is um, if you feel unstable and then you're, you're unfit and you're asked to be able to carry weight, but you don't have the fitness or the understanding or the balance to do it, you're, you're going to get in trouble. Um, you know, the example would be like you're leaning over a cliff and somebody comes along and starts poking on you while you're falling, you know, leaning forward and feeling like you're going to fall off the cliff. You're, you're going to brace, you're going to stiffen, you might get defensive, you might, you know, get angry. Um, and so anything we can do to help increase balance and stability with these horses would be a really big advantage to not only their training in the beginning, but also in their performance throughout their life. Um, I've had a couple people recently um, ask me about laterality in horses, meaning they have a dominant side and can Surefoot help? And it was so interesting because I had a veterinarian from Portugal email me and ask me that question. And then immediately I had a, a customer, um, she's up in Canada actually, she's um, customer of the, uh, the T-Touch people, but she sent me an email and she's been studying laterality, meaning dominant side, dominant front leg. And she was just totally blown away at how quickly Surefoot addressed laterality. In other words, it addressed the, the habitual balance of the horse to be strong on one side or dominant on one leg. And we all have a dominant side. Um, whether you're right-handed or left-handed or ambidextrous, you're going to have a dominant side. And the simple way to think about that um, is that if you're mucking out the stall and you're mucking right-handed, in the majority of people, your left leg is your strong leg. That's your post that you're using to pivot for leverage is around your left leg. So um, the, typically people are um, diagonally dominant, strong right hand, strong left leg, diagonals. And horses, you'll see diagonal dominance. You'll see they're stronger on one diagonal pair than the other, or that you, you'll pick up a front leg and they're just on their toe on the back foot, but they're standing really solidly on the other two legs. Um, it's going to affect your leads. You know, if you have a horse that's uh, laterally dominant, he's going to pick up a one lead really easily and struggle with the other because canter is a diagonal gait. Um, you know, we want our horses to be symmetrical and travel equally left and right, especially in dressage um, for turns and show jumping. Um, and so anything we can do that addresses this, the laterality in a horse is going to improve their balance and performance. And that's what her comment was. Um, she, like she, she had emailed me and sent me some pictures and explained a little bit about the work she was doing to address laterality in horses. And she was like, um, she's going to get some pads and just see what happens. And I smiled to myself because she th thought it might take some time to get the horses used to the pads. And given that I, she had said she'd done so much body work, I knew it wasn't going to take long. Um, and sure enough, I think it was two days later, I got this email about how amazed she was at how rapidly Surefoot can address the type of habitual problems. Um, and there, there is a small percentage of people that are laterally dominant. So their strength is their right hand and right leg, or their left hand and left leg, same side. Um, these people don't tend to be riders because when you're laterally dominant, you fall off a lot. And so I've got Neville here. Hopefully, 
he can demonstrate. So if I have a strong right hand and right leg, and when I'm sitting my horse, I tighten on one side, the problem is there's nothing to stop me on, on the diagonal side, and so I can come off. But when I'm diagonally dominant, right hand, left leg, if I start to fall, my leg is gonna catch me because of the diagonal nature, right? So laterally dominant people tend to have a lot of injuries. They'll report to me when I do riding clinics, they'll say, oh, my right shoulder, I broke my right elbow, I hurt my right knee, I you know, broke my ankle. It's all one side of the body. They'll start telling me about all their injuries. Whereas a uh, diagonally dominant person, the right elbow, left toe, you know, it's a cross by, it's not all on one side. Um, so that's a clue for me when I hear people start to talk about that. Horses don't uh, tell us in the same way, but there are horses that are laterally dominant. Same front leg, same back leg. Um, and I have one, I don't have pictures of it, but one horse that comes to mind really strongly was a warm blood out in Washington state. And it was laterally dominant, same side. Um, and so what I did there with the surefoot pads was I started with just one pad and went around. And then I put the pads on the front and hind of the same side. I believe it was the left. And then I doubled it. So literally it was kind of like going to the, you know, the tire changer guy and having him lift the whole thing up on one side. So I had, you know, uh, four inches under the front left foot and the, and the back left foot. And the horse was incredibly happy and just stood there really chilled out. Um, and then later I came back and reversed that and did the other side. Um, but you can start to kind of pick up those kinds of things doing the pads. You'll see, you know, the horse really wants the pads under the same side or kicks it out when it's on a diagonal or has one diagonal that's really easy to pick up and the other diagonal is not so easy to pick up. And these are clues to us in terms of um, dominant leg, meaning supporting leg. So when I do the balance trail with people and I have them walk over the pads, um, I watch which foot they extend out in front of them. Whichever foot they're extending out in front of them, the other leg is the supporting leg. In other words, many people walk through the balance trail and they'll step forward with their right foot every single time. Well, that makes it really clear that their left leg is their strong leg. It's the one they trust. It's gonna hold them up. They can explore with the right foot because the other one's nice and secure. And when you change that up on them and have them step with the left foot forward, they're not so steady because the right leg isn't used to doing the job of stability. There are a lot of horses like this where um, you'll have one leg that is so easy to pick up. They'll give you that left front every single time you go to the right front. It's like a post and it just feels like it's cemented to the ground. Well, that's their supporting leg. Why would I give you my supporting leg if you're going to put me on something that feels unstable? I want to feel secure, so I'm going to keep my solid leg on the ground. You can have the other one. And it's just real important to honor that. Go ahead and do the leg that they're willing to give you, as opposed to trying to make them give you the leg that you think you should have. Um, and you'll see that once they start to experience the pads and have the choice and feel it out a little bit, you come back and it could be just five minutes to go for a walk and come back and suddenly you can pick up the other foot. So. When you can't pick up a foot, the question to start kind of pondering in the back of your mind is, is this the leg they really need to feel secure? In other words, their strong leg that's holding them up. 
And it might be that you can do all the other legs, but this one you can't. And then it correlates. Wow, well, I have such a hard time getting the left lead, and it's the left front that is just feeling nailed to the ground. Well, that would make sense um, because that's the leg they're relying on. And then if it needs to lift for the canter part, it can't. And the other one's free. And so, of course, they're going to pick up the other leg. And so, you know, I always try to get people to really be really observing when they're working with the pads and watching the horses and not, um, not layer on a lot of stuff. Like, just say what you see. Um, you know, I see the horse swing, or I see his head over his right front leg, or I see him shift his weight back. When we start kind of creating stories around that, we have to be careful. But at the same time, or on the other hand, we can start to see patterns that we can correlate to experiences. So if I work with a horse and three times I can't pick up the left front and he only gives me, wants to give me the right front, and then I talk to the rider and they say, oh yeah, he has a really hard time with his left lead, I can correlate what I'm experiencing with the pads and what's happening when I go to pick up a foot with the rider's experience. And that helps me understand, oh, I can see why you can't get that lead. This foot I can't pick up. But to say, you know, like, well, he's doing that to make my life miserable and he doesn't want to give me that foot. So he's, you know, he's just running through his transitions just to, just to be bad. And that's really not what's going on. So horses don't have, if you listen to Dr. Peter's webinars, horses don't have very much frontal lobe. So they can't make up stories. They can't imagine Star Trek, you know, communicators and things like that and then make them. Um, they live in a very present world. They do have memory, absolutely have memory. Um, and they do, can, do have anxiety and memory coupled with anxiety can be PTSD. And we never know what's going to trigger a memory that has a bad experience with it. Just like with you, if you, you know, have seen a car wreck, every time you drive past that place, you feel your heart start to go because you remember, oh, that was really bad, you know, I hope those people survive. So um, horses can't make up stories, but they can make associations for sure. Um, good and bad. Um, and what our job with Surefoot is when we're working with a horse, or for me actually, um, do I see a pattern? I can always pick up the right front. I never can pick up the left front. It's really, really heavy. Um, do I see the pattern change? And that to me is the more interesting thing. All of a sudden I come back, I change density, or I give him a break and I come back and suddenly the left foot's coming off the ground. Right, so that's a change. And then does my rider report a difference? Oh, now my horse is taking the left lead. So, you know, we never can really know why a pattern gets started or how a pattern gets started, especially when we don't know the whole history of the horse. Uh, but when we can make educated guesses, I think is probably the best way to, to say it that I, I see this pattern in the horse, I see this pattern consistently when I use the pads, or maybe I look down and I look at the feet and go, wow, he's always standing heavy on the medial side, on, on the inside of his feet, then that could explain the experience that you have under saddle or the balance issue that the horse has. So just food for thought. Um, has anybody got any questions about that? If so, just like I said, pop them in the chat. You guys are always so quiet when I have these, Friday webinars. And, um, I don't know. It always makes me nervous. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. <laughs> um, older horses, 
Uh, I was down in uh, North Carolina working. I, I'm pretty sure this was an older horse, so that's why I'm showing these pictures. But uh, I'm going to show you these pictures. This was down at uh, Janet's place, and, and I have not asked her permission if I could use the photos, but somebody else took them of me so and sent them to me. So I'm hoping it's okay. Um, but our, the older horses, one of the things to realize is that if you provide them with too much instability too fast, they can't handle it. Okay, so let me just make sure that this is screen share is working right. So um, this horse here, we started him on hard, hard pads. Here I'm working with a firm, a hard slant. But I start with the hard pads, either hard or hard slant, because you know if you're an older arthritic, <laughs> older arthritic horse, just think about it. Your joints are stiff. They, you've probably not been moving a lot. You're you're feeling creaky. You know, just think about if you get up in the morning and you know um, you've overdone it the day before, and you get up and you go, oh man, my knees are kind of stiff. The last thing you want to do is be challenged by too much instability. So when you're working with your older horses, it's, it's always better to start with harder and then gradually work into softer. You don't want to provide so much instability by like a, like a medium pad, in my opinion, would be really demanding because not only does it have instability, but it's springy. And so now I'm really having to try and accommodate this this pad that I'm standing on. But if you give me a hard pad that's gonna to give to heat and pressure, it's not gonna to be too much instability, basically no lateral instability, I can feel it out. And I can start to go, okay, this feels good, you know, and it gives slowly. Um, let me just see if I can find the right picture of this. Pause my screen share for a second. I know I have that horse on a hard pad first. Oh yeah, well here's. Mm -mm. Share. You should be seeing a leg with a pad with the light color surface up, right? I can even zoom it in a bit. Um, but you can see it's just going to give to heat and pressure, right? And um, you don't want to offer them too much instability to start with. A physio pad would even be a good idea, especially if you have difficulty with the farrier because the horse is creaky, because you can use the physio pad during the trimming with the farrier. Um, so lower profile, physio pad or hard pad, not a lot of, in fact, no lateral instability, gives to heat and pressure, offers comfort, and just lets the horse start to settle into yeah, just that feeling. Um, there's always lovely pictures of me, but you can see he's just starting to settle into that feeling. And you can see there's that we're on an uneven surface, and I think that might be a bit of a bump on that knee, right? And it's interesting to see how he's placed his head really over to the right. Now, clearly, he's looking at something, just looking at that eye. But his head, even though he's looking, oh, I remember this about this horse now, something in the neck. Um, because he's really looking left, but his neck is clearly positioned over this right front foot. And again, that's something to really pay attention to is where's the plane of the head in relation to the plane of the chest. Um, and so here now you can see that the head has come down. I'll just move this over, there we go. Okay, 
and it's much straighter and it's more central, okay? And so it's still a little bit over that right front, right? And we are on unlevel ground, totally fine, right? Um, and then I started looking at the print itself to see where the pressure was. And it looks like there's more pressure out here on this outside, which is actually kind of obvious from this previous picture. If we look here, now again, notice that the ground's sloping. So, but it looks like we had a little more pressure on that outside corner. Okay, I'm just gonna pause for a sec while I find the next picture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, Anna, Anna was, uh, I went down to 3-H vet clinic. That was actually two years ago now, I think. Um, it, it is, it's about safety and comfort. And, you know, you never want to overface these older horses with more than they can handle. Um, and you can see now we've started to get the neck relaxing. I'm teaching, so I'm talking to the people because this was a Surefoot workshop um, in, in uh, South Carolina. It was the last one I did before the pandemic. Um, and so I'm busy talking to them about whatever I'm talking to them about. Um, but you can see that things are changing. Oh, come on. Here. Yep. And then we have our neck down, right? And what I've done is I've switched to the hard slant. So, um, you know, it's fascinating. And then he's like, hey, who are you, right? So this is so typical of the horses checking in. And, and I talk about, he's just putting his feelers on my hand. And I think that that's actually oxytocin. So um, if you've ever seen a young couple like at the airport and it's obvious that one of them's leaving and they don't want the other person to leave, there's a lot of oxytocin flowing around that couple. So oxytocin, um, some people call it the brain chemical of love. You could call it the brain chemical of bonding. Um, it's the one that um, in the studies they've done with sheep, when the sheep has her first lamb, there's no oxytocin spike. But when she has her second lamb the next year, there's a huge oxytocin spike because she has to separate from the one lamb and a bond to the other. And so it's the, it's the brain chemical of bonding. And men have oxytocin as well. That's why we see that in couples. But women are very dominant with oxytocin in terms of having babies and making that connection. And I think, in my opinion, when the horses do this, when they put their feelers on, and, and just very gently, sometimes it might be my cheek, sometimes mostly my hand, the back of my hand, um, it's like they're making that decision that I'm safe, that the person who's brought them the surefoot pads is safe because we're not high demand. We're low demand. In fact, we're no demand. Um, and we bring them comfort and we've made them feel safe. And so the horses recognize that and acknowledge that with that little touch. And it's very, it's very, very common. And it can happen anywhere from um, the very first time I put them on a pad to, um, you know, maybe five minutes later. So here we've switched to the other front foot. And you can see by the softness in the face and how nice and straight in the neck that there's a lot of internal awareness going on now, a lot of internal processing, right? And just pause, share, because again, these are some of these are just talking because I'm just, oh, here we go. So resume share. So here we are now again on this right, left front, sorry. And again, we see this nice relaxed face. But you notice I'm just doing one foot. I'm using the hardest pad I have. The hard slant is the same material as the hard orange pad. And not 
doing a tremendous amount. And so, yeah, hello button, yep. Um, it's so important not to overload them, to keep the sessions really short in the beginning. And you can see that this horse has now gone grazing, right? And um, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something there. <laughs> um, but so now I've gone to two, okay? And again, you can see the softness in the face. You notice that this foot stepped a little wide and we can see actually if I zoom in a bit, it does look like we're gonna see more pressure on that outside edge again. Um, totally fine. Just these are things to just observe, file away in the back of your mind. And um, I am working on the Surefoot Workbook. I'm, I'm probably about halfway done, maybe more than halfway done actually. And one of the things we're gonna have in the workbook is just a, a picture of a hoof so that you can mark on your, on your drawing, you can photocopy it or however you wanna do it, but you can mark where you see increased pressure to help train your eye. So, you know, there's several ways to observe that. Let me see if I have a better, better picture in terms of observing that pressure, where that pressure is. Let's see if this one works. Well, I'm just um, pointing it out actually is what I'm doing. So, you know, I'm just looking at the hoof here and I'm looking at, and it's so cute, somebody else is looking at the hoof too, right? Um, and you, you can look at the pattern. Now this is a slant. One of the things you have to realize is that when you're working on an uneven surface, the surface is having some influence on where the pressure is gonna be. Um, but I always think, you know, life's not perfect. We could set it up in a barn aisle on a totally flat floor, but we were working in a more open environment, out in a little paddock, not an even surface, but I still can get some information from that. And so, you know, can, you can just look and see, wow, here's more pressure here. And I think of a clock, so 12 o'clock is toward the toe, six is to the heel, three, nine. And so I can map out on the clock where I see more increased pressure, like one, 12, and 11. Um, and by recording that, um, you can watch how things change over time. Um, because that is one of the interesting things, is that we'll see changes over time. And here I think I'm comparing, yep. I'm just looking at the two pads. Somebody else is looking at the two pads. I didn't even realize that. Looking at the two pads with me. And yeah, I mean, does it look like there was a, a second step on that pad so that we have the heel right here? You can see that impression right there. But, but you can see this one, right? And if you just wait a little bit, it'll go away. And you can see this one. So it just helps give you ideas about how the horse is standing, um, where the pressure is, find another picture for you. Um, and so by recording that, by writing it down on a piece of paper or making a note, or in this case, taking a photo, you can start to train your eye. And so that's, you know, David um, Burden is going to be back. He's um, on the schedule to come back. But the more we can train our eye to see things, the more things we're going to see. And training your eye is a skill. It's some people um, are more, a little more innate in that skill than others, but we can all develop our eye and we can all learn to see and to feel more. Um, and so this is just a skill in learning to see more. And again, if you think about your clock, 12 toward the toe, six to the heel, three, nine. And it, in this particular picture, it looks like we've got some more pressure here on this, 
you know, two, three, four, five side of the foot. And if we look at the other foot, now obviously there's a, that's not a complete foot, right? But on this one, it looks more evenly distributed and less than this foot. And you can see that by, if you look at these little creases right here, you can see that these little creases are just how the pad gave to the pressure. So um, that, that's one of the things that gives you a clue is like, wow, I see a little more creasing, whereas here it's more even and less. So that, you know, again, this is just part of what happens with the pad and when it um, comes back to its shape, that will disappear. Um, but those little creases are what gives us clues. And so they're, they're really handy when we start to think about learning how to read a picture. And I'm gonna see, I have, let me see what I have for a really good, I have a couple of really good pictures of um, feet. Maybe it's here, oh yeah, okay. So I'm gonna do a new share, I'm gonna go over here. And, and it's true of barefoot and shod feet, right? Here's a barefoot. And again, one of the things with a photograph is you have to be aware of the light. So if the light's at an angle, it's gonna throw a shadow. It may look, make something look like it's a lot deeper than it really is. Like if you look here, you can see that if this is 12 o'clock, 11, 10 o'clock looks like more pressure. What's really nice about this particular image is that we have a very clear frog Here's our lateral sulci, right? And here's the back of our foot. And so we can see that we have nice contact with the back of the foot um, on that pad, which is really nice. Um, don't always see such clear pictures. Here's just another example. Again, this could be a light shadow here, but if it's not a light shadow, then we see an increase of pressure. If this is 12 straight up, this is 11, 10, nine, we can see that like 10, 10.30 to 11, there's more pressure. But again, we can see here's the back of the foot, right? And the heel coming back. And um, here's our sulci here and here. And we can see structures, right? So that's really, uh, really nice. And let's see, here's just another example of a foot. Um, again, we can see that the shape, you kind of wonder what's going on with the toe here. Um, but we can see we've got back of the foot and it looks like just from this picture, again, here's where the light is. So this looks darker. It may be that we have more pressure at one, two o'clock. Um, and, you know, like recording that over time, you can see changes. I thought I had another picture in here of a shot. Oh, here's an interesting one. This is a boot. And so, yes, it still has the dirt in it, but we can see that, that there's probably a bit more pressure here at the toe and less at the back of the foot here. And it kind of fades off a little bit. So it's just really fascinating to think about being able to um, get that image from the underside um, and really kind of get a perspective that we wouldn't normally have just looking, at, looking down on the foot, that we can see where the foot's meeting the ground. Let's see if I can find there's another picture I really wanted to show you. Well, here's just a shod foot. It's, a, it's one of my favorites because it's a good photo. Uh, right? And so here's two front feet. And what's really interesting is we can see 
like we're going to assume the light's the same, right? Because the picture was taken uh, with the two side by side. And we look at this foot here. Now, what you have to realize is that the pads might not have been perfectly straight when the horse was standing on them, but I put them together to take the picture. So I don't think the horse was standing toed out the way this seems to indicate. I think that the pad was a little bit turned and then I straightened it up for the picture, okay? So I don't think that the foot's taking a right-hand turn there. But you can see on this right front, make it a little bit bigger. Right, I mean, we have quite even contact and you can see this is raised because that's going into the, into the foot, right? And then here's the frog here. And so that looks quite symmetrical actually. And then we come over to this one and you can really see this deep shadow here. So you know, really, I can't remember what horse this is at this point. Um, that picture was taken quite a while ago. 2017, um, but you can see how much more toe loading there is on that foot. Okay, somebody's got a question. Um, long retired, yeah. Uh, talking about measuring the footprint of the boots, seems like there's an adjustment for the printer on the edges. Um, I don't know how to measure a horse for boots, but I can show you pictures of using the pads to do a measure, okay? So let me stop this screen share. I'm gonna to have to kind of go over here and find my pictures. So give me a moment while I pull them up because I didn't throw them into this particular uh, grouping. But I've been doing some experiments um, and I have to say, I haven't had time to like put them on the computer and really sort them out. But my thought is that why can't we um, figure out what size we need by measuring the foot and measuring the print and coming up with the correlation. So let's just reshare. And I'm sure, you know, if I had a little more time to kind of figure it out, I, I would have a, a more exact answer for you. But right now, uh, I'm just getting started with just how do I go about doing this, right? So I had the horse stand on the hard pads and then I measured. Now, the thing you have to realize again is that the pad's going to have a little crease and indentation where it goes in, which is not actually exactly where the foot is. So we have to kind of figure out, all right, is this the end of the foot or is somewhere here? And so this is our wall, right? And here's the back of our foot. And so I just put a ruler on and said, all right, what's the length? And I'm guessing, and what I'm still working on is, let me just pause this for a second while I find this other picture. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here I am actually measuring the foot itself and the heel to the toe. And I'm, yeah, come on. I know I have some other measurements, right? So I'm just starting and Brad's been taking the pictures for me. So, um, you know, getting the photographer and the person with the ruler organized and then the pad, um, but just taking my ruler, measuring it. And some horses like this horse, she's um, had some chronic laminitis. So, uh, she's not super comfortable where she's getting better, right? The frog's starting to look way better. Um, but taking those measurements and then going back and saying, okay, how does that work in relation to the pad? And so that's what I'm working on. But I really do think that I'll, there will be a, a way to figure that out that, you know, you allow say an eighth of an inch for the, where the pad's given in and then measure from there. I just, um, I need to spend a little more time on it, but anybody else can do this too. And, and maybe you can solve it and come up with an answer for us so that you can share it with everybody. 
just needs a ruler. Um, I only use the hard pad or the physio pad for this because the other pads, because they have lateral instability, I think that there's too much chance of it kind of giving, if the horse sways a little bit and stuff, giving um, not as accurately, you know, the imprint being not as accurate as the hard pad, which is not going to have that lateral instability. And then, you know, coming up with, okay, do you have to make an, an eighth inch allowance on either side or a half inch allowance um, by measuring the foot and measuring the pad? So um, a simple experiment for anybody who's willing to work on that, maybe somebody who's wanting to fit their horse four boots and has a pair of hard pads and a ruler. Um, it is helpful to have somebody else take the picture while you're holding the foot with the ruler, I find. Um, I'm not quite talented enough yet to hold the foot, hold the ruler, and hold the camera. Um, so you might need a second person. I think that's probably one of the things that makes this idea easier, that if we can map this out and figure out what the allowance is, then you don't have to like have the extra person to figure it out because you just have them stand on the hard pad and you get the impression. Right, so um, here's here she is. Right, and uh, just standing, and I had her on all four pads, and um, you can see that she's really quite happy about that, standing on all four pads. Um, and this is a, it's a she's been chronic laminitis, and I've ever since Bob's uh, webinars, and he is coming back. He finally got power back, and he's uh, working on getting internet back. It's taking some time, but he will be back for that third webinar with us. So stay tuned, I'll, I'll set a date as soon as he can. Um, how about a paper, paper twist? I don't know what a paper twist hoof and pad is. Marion, I don't understand your question. Maybe you can um, uh, explain it a little better because um, I don't know what a paper twist hoof is. Um, but, you know, I mean, she's able to stand on four pads very comfortably. And uh, I'll just show you a little video of her. But I've been working with what Bob talked about and just getting her toes back and um, using hoof armor. And um, she actually is so much more comfortable. And she was winging her right front out, which was the worst leg. And now she's going straighter. So we do a combination of surefoot and I'm working on her feet. Um, we struggle with the the wet right now it's been raining for two days so um, but you can see that she is really very much chilling on these pads here um, and so you know for your your chronically laminitic horses surefoot can be such a help for them and really making them more comfortable um, and anything we can do to to make them more comfortable i think is really important um, but for me it's been that's one of the beauties of having been home for a while now is i can actually uh, spend some time working on these kind of projects, and I just have to get better about the photographing with the rulers. Paper between. Oh, hmm. Between. That's a better word than twist, Marian. Um, that's an interesting idea. You, you almost want um, carbon paper. Hmm. I'll have to think about this. All right. That's a great suggestion. Let me think about that, and I'll see what I can do. Um, because it, it would be really nice. And I think it'd be super handy when you're measuring for boots because we've been looking at, at uh, boots, Brad has, and apparently every single boot has a different sizing system. Um, and so I don't have, my horses aren't wearing boots. My horses haven't really been in work because I traveled so much. 
Um, but I can't imagine trying to sort out all the different boot sizes, given that every design has a different sizing. Uh, so yeah, that's I think carbon paper uh, would be an interesting thing to do and see how that works. Um, or actually, if I put a little, um, what could I put on the foot itself? Maybe a little baby powder and then have her stand on the pad and then see where the baby powder print is versus where the pad is. And I have baby powder at the barn. So, all right, I have my homework assignment. I'm gonna experiment with that. I'm gonna see what I can um, come up with in terms of a, uh, a way to make that easier so that we have a, a sort of an accurate measure. Um, this is the same horse from behind. Just thought I'd show you this little video. She's on her four hard pads, right? She's hoping there might be a cookie from Brad, so. <laughs> um, but she's just, you know, just swaying just a tiny bit, not a whole lot. There's our nice lick and chew. Um, and this is the same horse that when she was more acutely laminitic in December, we used the firm slants with her. And she started out not wanting it under the right front foot, which was the worst foot. And then um, obviously now you can see that she's comfortable being on the hard pads on all four feet. So she's an older horse. She's older than we thought. Um, here's just a picture of all four feet after having been on the pads. Uh, it turns out she's 24. Um, we've lost track of our horse's ages around here. Uh, but again, you can see, like if I zoom in a bit, you can see that there's, there's, I think where the hoof wall is and then just where the pad has to give to conform to the hoof wall. So I will work more on this experiment and I think the baby powder might be the way to go because then I can actually see where the edge of the foot is. But I'm pretty sure about it. I just have to, you know, do the experiment as they say. So does anybody have any questions? We've just got a couple minutes left. Um, if you have any questions about anything Surefoot, just feel free to type it in the chat or put it in the Q&A. Um, that's something else. Always learn something, yeah. Oh, and here she is. She's, um, you know, we, <laughs> So now she's on a soft pad and the physio pad. I can't remember what I was, I was doing. I was trimming her. Um, and so I was messing around, uh, making her more comfortable while I was trimming her because I'm slow and I take my time because I'm trying, I'm still learning, even though I've been doing my own horses probably for 10, 10 years, but doing a laminitic horse, it takes more um, time and thought. And so, um, I just use the pads to make her more comfortable so that she'll tolerate my uh, ineptness and clumsiness. And I'm starting to realize why uh, trimmers have their little kit on the wheels with all their tools in it and their pants with their knife pocket and all that sort of stuff. So I might have to start investing in a few more things now that I'm doing more than my own horse. Um, but she was really quite happy about standing on those pads while I was working on her. You can see here I've got her on. Uh, the firm slant behind, a soft under the right front, and the physio under the left front. So you can mix and match, it's totally fine. The horses will let you know if it's something they like. Um, I'll get slower. 
I think so. I think that's what's happening, Marion. The more of these webinars that I do and the more I learn about feet, the more nervous I get about what I'm doing and the more I'm, I'm like having to look and stop and evaluate and put them on a pad and see how the load is and go back again and, you know, give them more time. So yeah, that really does, does seem right. But, um, but I figured, you know, it's, it's, I have the opportunity during the pandemic. I'm home. I have the three horses. Um, they're all barefoot, so I can mess around my own horse, this laminated horse, and then one other horse in the barn whose um, owner passed. So, um, it, and he's totally different kind of feet yet again. Um, but I figured if you know if I'm going to understand the feet a bit more, I just have to get in there and and work with them. And fortunately, the owner is very understanding. And actually, the horse is getting better. And she trotted the other day uh, comfortably. That was pretty amazing. Um, can surefoot pads influence the dominant side? Yes, they can. That's exactly right. And much that you might not want to be able to determine which side is dominant. So, um, you know, the, the dominant side, that's that laterality that I talked about. And um, it's just like people, we have a, we'll have a a supporting leg versus the leg that's going to move forward to explore the world. And what we see with the horses is that by using the surefoot pads, and like here, you know, she did not want to weight her right front. That was her more painful leg. So um, in this particular um, configuration, um, she's on the softest pad on the right front and the physio on the left front, which would be the leg she's putting more weight on. She had just one back foot that's okay. <laughs> um, I think it's the right hind. And um, as they explore and sway and kind of figure out their balance, they become more balanced and therefore they have less laterality. Um, and when you've had an injury or a painful situation like this horse, if we don't do something to reset the system and say that it's okay, they're gonna carry that, that pattern of movement with them. Um, how often do I use the pads with a horse? Uh, the horses will tell you how often they like it. Um, I mean, there are horses that want to see pads every day, but you can make them sore. And recently somebody was just saying that um, they had a horse and they were using the pads and suddenly the horse is like, I don't want those things. Don't put me on them. So I think they got sore. Um, so you always want to watch your duration. You know, it's okay to keep it shorter as opposed to longer um, and reduce your frequency. Um, if you think that the horse might be sore and just see what happens. So, um, but there are some horses that want to stand on pads every day. There's some horses that a couple times a week, there's some horses a couple times a month. There's some horses that want to see it every day for two weeks and then nada for a while. Um, and then you come back again. I've had horses that absolutely refused. And then six months later, they're standing on all four pads, falling asleep with no halter on in the middle of the arena. So um, some horses need a little more time to think about it. And, you know, the simplest way to understand this is to just think about people. You know, somebody presents you with an idea and you're like, oh, that's just foolish. That's silly, right? Some horses are like that. Surefoot pads, oh, that's just silly. What do you want me to do that for? And then other people are like early adopters. Hey, that's really cool. Can I try that? Um, and then some people are skeptical. They're like, uh, I want to see somebody else do it first right? And a lot of horses, I want to see another horse stand on those pads first before I'm going to stand on them. And then other horses are like, hey, you're doing that? Yeah, I want to join the party. So, uh, you know, it's so individual. It's so hard to, to, I can't give anybody a formula for their horse because it's so individual. Um, 
But I think that's one of the really important things about Surefoot is that when we start to recognize that every horse is an individual and our job is to be sort of a, a quiet listener to say, well, what is it that you really like? And how is it that you feel more comfortable? And start to think about, well, how can I start to understand and listen and figure out what this individual is really trying to tell me? And when we switch to that mode of being a good listener, then the horses are more willing to show us what they'd like. But when we're demanding and saying, you got to do this, I have five minutes, you know, I got to go out through the arena and, and ride now. So you have five minutes to stand on the pad. So feel good. <laughs> I'm not sure that's so, so helpful. So hopefully this, this gives you some more ideas. Um, like I said, I'm going to get Bess Miller on here to talk about uh, working with foals, and I'm still working on getting Bob Bowker back, but I've already got a great lineup of guests for next week. I can kind of give you a little sneak preview of, of the guests I have. Um, Ida Hammer's coming back on Monday. Uh, Raquel Butler from Australia is on Tuesday, a vet down at Charles Strutt University. Um, oh, on Wednesday, Equisoma is coming back, and we're going to talk about thoracic spine, and I'm so excited about that. And then on Thursday, we have Deb Davies, who is someone that Ida went and did a joint workshop with the end of May. Um, and, and she was so buzzed about it. It was like, okay, we have to have Deb on. And she's going to talk about proprioception. So we got a great lineup for our guests next week. I hope you'll tune in. Just remember that you can find all the videos on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. And to sign up for any of the webinars, go to the surefootequine.com website, click on the calendar, a little box will pop up when you click on the day expand that box. There's a register link right there. You can just go right from there and register for the Zoom webinars. Well, thank you all again for joining me. It's great to see my regulars. And Rhonda, I'm so glad that the little horse is still with us. And um, everyone take care. Have a fabulous weekend and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Yep, sure.